This episode is sponsored by a donor to Global Wellness Institute, or GWI. GWI is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to empower wellness worldwide by educating the public and private sectors about preventative health and wellness. GWI's research, programs, and initiatives have been instrumental in the growth of the $4.5 trillion U.S. dollar wellness economy and in uniting the health and wellness industries. Visit globalwellnessinstitute.org. On this episode, we have Talisa Daughtry. Talisa was born and raised in Boston. While pursuing her childhood passions of dance and visual art, she also became a self-taught programmer, graphic designer, marketer, and engineer, and is now an entrepreneur. She taught herself to code in the late 90s while in high school so that she could put her fine art on a website. She drew immense inspiration from the hardworking women in her family. She has taken her startups through a series of prestigious accelerators, including Founders Institute and Y Combinator. Her recent endeavor, Fly Technista, is a mobile app that empowers females to connect to curated education, employment, and entrepreneurship resources and opportunities in technology. She also backs startups as an angel investor. Talisa, thank you so much for joining us on our show. Thank you for having me, Asim. It's a really a great pleasure. You have accomplished so much um, in uh, a short period of time. I'm just, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Um, I, I want to go back there, start from the very beginning. Um, share with us uh, where you were born and uh, where your early years were. Right. So I was born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts, and that's where my family is from. That's generations of generations being here. Um, And yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much where I was born, where I was raised, (laughs) how I grew up. I grew up um, here in Boston until I was 19 years old. And I recently, um, pre-pandemic, had decided to moved back here to headquarter my startup here. Wow, okay. Um, so is that family driven or influenced uh, your choice? Uh, is most of your family still in Boston? <laughs> it was totally no. not expected. Okay. Um, a life, life changes like really rapidly. I had an opportunity. I was trying to figure out how could I add value to my community and you know, I've built my startup elsewhere, and then I found myself, you know, taking advantage of this opportunity here in Boston, and I just thought it was a really great idea to serve and empower the communities that I came from. That's really great. Um, Do you have siblings? Yes, I have so many siblings. So I have (laughs) brothers and sisters, and um, I fall between the middle spectrum on my blended family, and I am the oldest of my mother's child. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, we're going to obviously get into this, but um, you've done so much on, on technology, so much of it was self-taught, so much of it um, was pioneering. Uh, you're also a social entrepreneur and, um, I'm, I'm just very curious as we think about our inspirations and, and kind of um, the seeds that were planted maybe in our youth. Um, who would you say growing up were your biggest influencers? Well, I know it's very cliche and people often cite their mom or their dad or parents or things like that or uncle. Um, but for me, I would definitely say seeing so many powerful women in my family, like just be really innovative um, and create their own businesses in way of means for themselves. I think that immediately inspired me to pursue entrepreneurship, to be very honest. It's like, wow, you know, your grandmother has this business and she's doing this thing and your mom is doing this thing. And so it's, it was easy for me to look to other women to see that example. But as far as planting the early seeds, like, you know, again, to be really cliched, I would definitely say stem from watching my mom. My mother is a very, very diligent and hard worker, like very, <laughs> very hard worker. So seeing that, it also made me be inspired to not just work hard, but like to also find one job, you know, because that is the, re- that's the reality that oftentimes when we see 
well, people who come from single parent households, when they see their, their parent um, taking on the bulk of the financial responsibility, that means they have less time to spend with, you know, children and do be present in other things. So for me, even though seeing an example of a very hardworking woman, I also knew I just wanted to have one job and not have multiple jobs to work so hard. Yeah. So that's also another positive influence that I've, that I've seen early being seeds from myself. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, um, you know, the fact that it's a common theme isn't, uh, shouldn't undercut uh, the potency of the inspiration you right. received. You know, you mentioned, you said cliche, but the reality is that um, we often look to our parents and how they are in, right. in terms of our orientation <laughs> in life. And being a parent myself, um, you know, I, I work hard to, to be a role model uh, in, in, in certain ways. I don't always achieve it. Uh, and I'm off uh, right. from, from time to time. I'm kind of uh, swallowing the pill and telling my kids, you know, daddy wasn't the best version of himself and he apologizes, but this is really where he wants to be. Um, and children are remarkably forgiving. Um, and we are, and <laughs> we still are, but yeah. That's right. Yeah, you never stop being a child. Uh, right. As you know, long as you have a parent, you're still a child. That's right. So. That's right. And so, um, well, kudos to your mom. And sounds like it uh, went a generation above that. So kudos to your grandmother uh, right. as well. Um, I know you're an artist also. Share with us about uh, that inspiration when that began for you. Wow. I've been... Before I've been coding anything, Crayola was my very first form of expression. So I, I often say how, you know, between Crayola and Legos, that is <laughs> essentially what shaped me, not just as an engineer or, or, or creative, but just like in life, because these were the first things, two things, two simple things that I was able to use to express myself, to nurture the the imagination that I had inside of me and build things that I've never seen or, th or replicate things that I did see. So it was really, um, I, I would say from those moments, those early moments in my life, I don't ever recall that there was ever a time that I didn't have access to markers, crayons, pencils. And I mean, because, you know, the adults in my life knew how imaginative and creative that I was, um, they would often gift me with these things and not just like in a way that you want children to be occupied and shut up and go be somewhere <laughs> and not bother you, but in a way of like, I really want to see what you're going to make, what you're going to do, um, how it's going to look in the end. And I, I believe that that gave me confidence and courage, like just to, to just further express myself creatively. And, you know, being an artist is a journey. I don't think because I'm now working in other mediums that I stopped being that artist. Like, I just feel like you just build upon your skill set, and now you have new tools and new ways that you express yourself. So for me as early, I, I mean, I can't remember anything beyond three years old, but I've always been coloring, always been making, always been cutting, always been sculpting, always been drawing, always, just always, as long as I can create, I'm creating, whether that's with food, like seriously, like I love plating and like the design of food. And before like people were taking pictures of like food porn, like I really enjoyed the plating and the look and just everything. I feel like being an artist has just not only shaped me like as far as professionally, but it's who I am in life. Like when people see me, they know I'm a creative somehow. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's phenomenal. I love the way you responded to that. And it is no surprise <laughs> that there are no boundaries or fences to your artistic pursuits. Uh, much the same, there are none in your uh, career uh, work technology pursuits. Um, when did the idea of programming first uh, come to you? Or when did you think, you know what, I'm going to learn this, I'm going to figure this out? 
Right. So my journey is very interesting. Um, that being said, navigating and weaving through the art world and then coming from a background of also being a classically trained dancer, um, I landed at Boston's very first high school for visual and performance arts called the Boston Arts Academy. So it's Boston's very first high school um, for these these arts. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I ended up being accepted into the Boston Arts Academy via dance because I danced with Boston Ballet at the time, um, wow. you know, pretty much from, from third grade as a part of their, um, they had an initiative to engage more urban uh, students to get them involved in the program. And I was very fortunate. And I stayed, I've, I've been dancing since I was six years old. So at this time, I just was like, wow, I, I love dancing, but this is not what I want to do in life. So like when I in, in auditioned for the Boston Arts Academy, I was accepted as a dance major. And then over the summer, I decided that I wanted to switch my major to, um, we had to have a secondary major in order to audition, which was visual arts. So I had a sketchbook and I had like some portfolio pieces and I brought that along with me in my dance audition. And, you know, I was accepted into the school for both, but I chose dance. And then a week later, I switched to becoming a visual artist. Wow. <laughs> so I say all of this because if it had not been for me switching my major to becoming a visual artist, I never would have found coding. So the year is 1998 and I am at an art high school Clearly, there is no computer science at all. Yeah. There's coding classes. There's no groups for, there's no groups. There's, there's no groups. There's not even a math group at this art school. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, I found myself um, in this art school and then taking in a how to create a portfolio. Now, at a time where there's no Behance, there's no drag and drop. There's no iconography, font, like font making. There is font making, but I mean, like to learn this in school isn't any of that. And um, I basically taught myself how to code because I needed to put my artwork online. Like that was the end of our, that was our outcome as the class, as that elective. We had to put our art online and, you know, make a, essentially make a portfolio now this is 1998. It's a huge task. It's like, really? there's no drag and drop. There's no, there's, there's really no platforms aside from at the time it was Yahoo GeoCities. All right. And so I learned how oh, to code really? because the GeoCities templates was, or Angel Fire, it was one of them. Like, it was so horrible. Like yeah. I was like, I'm not putting my my fine my fine art on this website <laughs> with this hideous yellow background and lime green text. Like no way, no way. I so I went <laughs> I went into an AOL chat room and I asked, um, and you know, this is not a tech chat room, this is just a regular chat room at the time. And I just asked, hey how can I change this background and change this font? And somebody told me that I was going to need to learn a programming language called CSS and HTML. So I was like, okay, how? And they're like, well, here's some how to for dummy books. And then, so I was like, okay, awesome. So like literally after school, I had went to um, the bookstore at the time and, you know, I looked at the price of this book. It was like $52 or $48. Either way, I'm a freshman in high school. I'm like, I don't have this money. So I sat there in the aisle of Barnes and Noble, hand copying um, lines and lines of code from this how to for how to CSS and how to wow. HTML for dummies book. And I, I, I had my notebook and this brought it back to school with me the following morning because I used to go really early to use my um, school's computer in the library. I also did not own a, a computer at home. So this is my first challenge is like one, the book costs too much, two, a computer. So I brought the code with me. I literally copied everything from the lines of the notebook and it worked. And my... <laughs> And my whole life changed because the code worked. And then I just continuously kept doing that. And I learned six programming languages over one and a half years by doing that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm just so amazed by this story. I just, I love it. 
Um, it's so exceptionally inspiring. Um, and you were all of 14 years old when this pivotal 15, moment. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, curiously, I bet that Barnes and Noble doesn't exist anymore. And actually, they went out of business. Um, it was it was around the time when I moved to New York. So I want to say maybe 2006, but yeah, yeah. it's so interesting to like be in that mall and see that space that I used to sit in, not be that space anymore. Like it's, it's really interesting. It's of such a uh, huge significance in some ways. It was like your temple of knowledge. It really was. So, but, uh, I mean, there are two places there are two places that I went to that to, to practice my coding and you know, one is no longer there and one is now one of my greatest partners in the Boston area. So yeah. it's really, it's really amazing. No, that's such a touching story. And I love how the seed of it was not willing to accept the status quo, not say they're not accepting that this background, I, I guess I just have to deal with it. You said, right. no, that's right. not the world that I want to be a part of. I'm going to go see how I can change it. Right. Um, this is phenomenal. And um, it's making me a bit emotional because my daughter is now the same age uh, as, as you were at that time. And she's showing some amazing shifts and initiative. And uh, I'm just sort of watching in awe and thinking, right. you know, how do I clear the path in the jungle to give her as much runway as possible? <laughs> You know, that's really interesting because people often ask, like, you know, if anyone encouraged me or inspired me, like, people thought I was crazy when I was doing this. My classmates, family, like, people didn't understand, like, computers and coding and what that meant and if there was a future and what kind of job that looked like. It's like, no, get a real job. It's like, this is real. This is real to me. So I also believe that had I had more support, I don't know if I would be where I am. I had to want to figure it out. I had to want to take this leap, I had to want to learn this thing. So if it had not been for me wanting to, I don't know if I would be where I am. Yeah, like, no, be very yeah. And, and I love how you very candidly expressed how that initial success was a key motivator. Um, right. The fact that the coding worked, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, I have power now. I can keep doing this. Yeah. And I mean, just That's to really highlight this, yeah, just really to highlight this point, I mean, the late 90s, um, if, you know, WordPress didn't exist, uh, nope. Shopify didn't exist, Wix, nope. Square, all these sites where we can throw up a website within, you know, 90 minutes didn't exist right. back then. And in fact, right. it was remarkably expensive to set up uh, an e-commerce site. You had to pay hundreds right. of thousands because the coding expertise was so unique and, and not widespread. Um, so again, it just makes your achievement all the more impressive. I mean, like learning PHP to actually create the form to upload the photo, like that wasn't an easy, that was not an easy task <laughs> or like action script. Like I made an actual flash portfolio then like right, right. these were, these were not things that like people my age at the time was doing where I came from. So yeah, like no, it was. Absolutely. It was really like for me, it was it was life enhancing and life changing, and it really did change the trajectory of my life. No, that's phenomenal. Well, it's so great you had the inspiration <laughs> to do that. Um, well, at some point through high school and then college experiences, you set up your own consulting practice where you were beginning to offer these services to to others. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was really interesting because again. I just thought it was a hobby as far as coding. I didn't think people would pay me for it. I didn't know what <laughs> I didn't know what I could do with the skills that I have. And I, I often set, cite this with a lot of my mentees of why I'm so passionate about teaching young women and women in general. Um, the the power and the possibility of what they can do with not just coding but with technology. So for me, like, it was really, I didn't know what I could do. So I just, I literally just thought this is something else I know how to do. I didn't think that, you know, it's a, what do I do with these technical skills and these programming languages now? Do I work at Texas Instruments? Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> like, I had no idea what I was supposed to do with them. And I mean, also not having mentors and not having, you know, visible role models that I could look to in that space 
it made it a little bit difficult for me to understand and and put the correlation of what my career path education path was going to then look like so I think I had like I was on some other platform and someone seen that my page was flash animated and it was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Um, can you make one for us? And I was like, yeah, I can. Like, awesome. <laughs> like, you know, so. <laughs> How old were you when that happened? I was 19 years old. All right. So you had graduated so, high school by then. Yep. So I was 19 years old. But I mean, I, I did other projects like around 18, like, you know, some graphic design stuff and right. some light web things but 19 is when people started saying i want to give you money to do this and i was like <laughs> all right this is awesome That's um great. but again i didn't think that i could work for a company i just thought that it was like some people who were online was going to need the same thing that i have and sure. it was so bad i actually didn't know how to charge them because right. i had no I had no no understanding of what other people was charging. Was people doing this? Am I the only? Like I had no idea. I just knew I seen other stuff around, but I didn't know if they was like what they were charging. And you know, this is again, this is like uh, two thousand and one. Yeah. So I, I there wasn't there still wasn't enough transparency about this being like a career path. What people other people are charging. So I literally went to like. Um, a graphic design site that had services for web development, I guess, and they had their pricing, like, you can get this awesome package for this, and I took their whole package, and I was like, yes, that's how much I'm going to charge, um, <laughs> and I actually think my work was better than the work that this, this real company was right. doing, so, right. I mean, that made it extra value, and I ended up landing a media publication in New York at the time That's and they were like hey we we and I mean this is like Beyonce is Beyonce like right. young Beyonce <laughs> they're like we have Beyonce on the cover we want to have this like cool overlay over this existing like it was like a a, a WordPress like kind of portal at the time and I was like yeah I can do that and I I totally did it and that was yeah. the first thing I got paid for like wow. Oh, that's fantastic. And what was the name of the magazine, of the publication? So it was, uh, uh... There's been so many clients Giant. since. It's... It was Giant. Giant. Giant magazine, yeah. Nice. That's really great. Well, and you also had an internship at Viacom. Yeah. At the same time. So, no, so I did that in college. Um, that was 2006. Okay. And that was a really incredible experience. Um, I did not land the internship for uh, for web design. How I actually came about that internship was through my video production class because my undergraduate degree was interactive media design, which means at the time it kind of was um, a mix between multimedia right. and web development. So like you had to learn all the things multimedia, which was audio, video, motion graphics, animation, digital uh illustration and art so i mean i'm really i'm really fortunate because my undergrad degree i learned so many different things yeah. that prepared me for like my really <laughs> up and down <laughs> and, and interesting um career path so i would definitely say that having that internship i came in as a post-production motion graphics editor gotcha so i was pretty much just making things slide and move across the screen the same way I would make things slide and move across the screen on, on websites, but just doing it for TV nice. and learning how to do that for video. I, I, that was incredible. It just opened so many doors for me with my consultancy because yeah. you're working at a company like Viacom. Everyone's like, oh, so do you do music? Do you like music? I was like, I love music. I don't do music. And then <laughs> that afforded me the opportunity to some of my first biggest clients became record labels because right. again i'm working at viacom i'm right. doing all these things here and then when people learn that you know i do web and all of these other things they're like we have an artist they need yeah. a website yeah. we need a website and then it afforded me a, another first during this time when magazines were transitioning from print to digital, right. I also became um, a first for creating a lot of uh, digital publications for, for magazines. That's great. Well, uh, in terms of record labels, you were with Asylum and Warner Music Group. Yeah. 
which is really phenomenal. Um, yeah. Just to come back to it, the um, college experience, um, were you at a few different institutions? Yeah. So, you know, no, I, I, no one I often, school could give you the experience you needed. I love that. You no, know, um, life actually. So, you know, people often like cite people who drop out of, uh, out of college as like, wow, you just knew you were going to make it. It's like sometimes life happens and you have right. to choose between a livelihood and or just going to school. And I mean, that was the re that was the reality for me. So when I first did my first undergrad at the New England Institute of Art, it was a just a two and a half year program. And, you know, that prepared me for a lot of the things that I needed to do. Um, and then you have to think about the, the loan scholarship, all of these of course, things that yeah. college students struggle with. And when you don't come from a background of assets or generational wealth, like what does college and that experience look like for you? And you know, when I was doing the internship at Viacom, I also had another internship. I also had a job. So I was doing mm. multiple, right. And uh, so when I found myself um, wanting to return back to, um, to perhaps pursue another college degree or something like that, it just made, it was like, how am I going to pay for this? So I kept, I was always very fortunate with academic opportunities. So even though um, I ended up being at the MIT's media lab as a result of being and just an assistant, like literally for two Nobel Prize scientists who they were like, you're brilliant. Like you should do something more. And I was just like, well, I'm doing as much as I can with what I have right now. So, you know, they were like, they, they directed me into um, spaces that would allow for me to learn, you know, at this institution. So I was like, why not take advantage of that? And then yeah. the same thing for Boston University. It was just something that I think I just pursue higher learning because I know I can, yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. the, the, but then the desire of like, sometimes school just used to like, just bore me. So I'm one of those people <laughs> where I learn by doing and yep. like when you're just teaching me, I'm not learning as much as I would like to be learning. And I feel like I could learn a different way so yeah, that's yeah. i realized that i was that kind of learner young younger on but after accruing debt sure sure of course, <laughs> of course yeah. so so no, those were the three institutions i was at and they helped shape and cultivate all of the skills that i still presently use and i mean i'm i just always am learning every year every six months every program i'm always learning something like i became a blockchain developer two years ago so that does not surprise me one bit always learning <laughs> <laughs> okay we need to talk after the interview is done uh, <laughs> uh, i'm involved in some blockchain things uh, as well yeah i still um, am like it's something i really care about and i i see a huge potential in it so. no no i totally agree and it's not just uh, i mean cryptocurrency is barely exactly. scraped you know right. touching the surface of the possibilities right. um Tell us about your experience at Apple as a systems engineer. So actually I was, it's, it's a little bit less than that. So like, you know, they send you to Cupertino to do these trainings to basically you repair, troubleshoot, software, all of these things. So I mean, I'm at Apple in the era of Steve Jobs era. Right. And, you know, coming from New York and Apple, Apple was such an interesting process because it took six months, a little over six months just to land my role. Like Apple would rather have a vacant role than to have a, the wrong person in the role, which wow, is amazing. something I didn't, it's something I actually, it, it, the statistic at the time that they gave us like during our orientation and our acceptance was like, you know, if you've been accepted to Apple, like you're, you're like part of the 1% that like is like not even accepted to Harvard or like, it was like some ridiculous number that I just never, <laughs> never thought of. Like, because you just think of like, oh, it's retail or software or is this, but they really at the time took so much pride in their hires. Like, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but you definitely felt like once you're in there, like it was a different kind of, I've, I've never had that experience working elsewhere since then. Like, this is really serious. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, 
Steve Jobs era Apple, seeing Steve Jobs come into New York or like, you know, and also working on so many different um, Apple products at the time. I had the opportunity to work a lot with like um, celebrities and SNL cast specifically on their <laughs> on their uh, on their laptops and things like that for the show and things. So that was really fun. Uh, phenomenal. Um, and, and I also love how you, uh, in terms of creating your educational base, you took just, uh, you were in the driver's seat, you took full control over it. So, you yeah. know, these number of institutions really couldn't give you what you wanted. Um, and I love how you were a part of these various accelerators. And I'm jumping a little yeah. bit around chronology wise, but it's exceptionally mm -hmm. prestigious to be a part of both Founder Institute and Y Combinator. Yeah. I mean, you know, the matrix of these various um, programs, I mean, this puts you in a very exclusive subset. So tell Absolutely. us about how that came about. <laughs> right. So in 2015, um, the interesting thing that I we did not touch on was the fact that um, when the first, when the recession had hit in 2008, 2009, I was working for a company um, doing um, post-production video, some web stuff, but I was mostly in there to do motion graphics post-production and this company was owned by the Hearst. And um, <clears throat> basically when the, when Wall Street had happened, my entire department <laughs> had vanished in one day. Wow. I was one of 30 people left. Mm. Uh, there was about 180 or so of us at the time and there was 30 of us left. And, you know, I, every day, I just was not sure when they was going to call me into the conference room to like, let me go. And I was 25 at the time. And, you know, this is, this was really one of my first job experience, like real job, like benefits I'm working in the, in the industry I want to be working at all of these things. And, um, I got the call into the conference room. I didn't know what to do next. Like New York was already very expensive for me. I was doing several, people always thought Talisa was doing so, so much because like she likes doing a lot of things. The reality is oftentimes, even with a college education, even with experience, you know, sometimes we're all just trying to make ends meet. Yeah. So, you know, you're living in a city where the rent is too high, <laughs> where you really can't afford, where everyone's living in a closet, but this is my dream. Like my yeah. dream has always been to live in New York. And I was like, I'm going to make it like, nice. you know, and I did make it, but it was very difficult. So um, that, to that point, during this time being called into that conference room, I was already some days sleeping in that office because I could not afford to get to my home in New Jersey. So oh, I lived wow. in I lived in West New York at the time, which I had to take a, a bus into Port Authority to to get into New York City. Um, so that became an expensive like th my job at the time only paid for New York Transit, so my MTA pass, so everything oh, wow. else. But it was less expensive for me to live in West New York, New Jersey, um, like like thousands of dollars less expensive. So I chose to live out of the city and commute in, but then it became so costly commuting into the city that I some nights I would like just bring my bag from home and like work overnight to stay in the office at my at my company um That's and incredible. it didn't happen that often it was just like in between checks you know those those yeah. every two week checks where you're yeah, like yeah. the last four days are so difficult <laughs> like when you're in your 20s and um so it was already difficult time at that for me at that time but as a result of me losing my job, like I became homeless, homeless, like really homeless. And I lived on the E train in New York City. <laughs> lived wow. on the E train, rode the E train with my blue suitcase for six and a half months. And I still very much was like freelancing. No one, no one was hiring at the time. No one. There was you know, even with Viacom experience, and I'm so fortunate for all of these experiences that I had pre this, because I had a reputation for doing good work. So even when no one was hiring, they would call me to do the, the contracting work. So, you know, I was super fortunate for that. But 
that led me to working in this Starbucks at 261 Fifth Avenue. And I never forget it because this is also my business address now. So 261 Fifth Avenue, I used to sit in the lobby of that Starbucks working on most of these record labels, websites, magazine websites, doing social media. All This is Twitter is new at this time in 2008, 2009. So I'm now ghost tweeting for, for personalities and brands and celebrities. I'm doing all the things because no one was hiring. This is how I got my experience. No one was hiring and I had to figure out what am I good at and who's gonna pay me for it. So homeless, riding the E-train, working at 261 Fifth Avenue, um, and I bring this address up because I'm, after I returned to Boston to regroup myself and reestablish myself during this very difficult time of my life, realizing I didn't have to be homeless. I'm not estranged from my family. Like, you know, I have a loving family and my mother was like probably losing her mind at the thought of what is my child doing out here <laughs> to survive and live in this city? And I didn't really have to live the way that I was living. So I decided to come back to Boston when I decided to move back to New York in 2015 that's when I launched my now business and I was accepted into the Founder Institute, which is at 261 Fifth Avenue. Literally three years later, the same place that I was sitting, four years later, the same place that I was sitting in homeless, oh riding goodness. the train, I'm now on the seventh, sixth floor building my business that I am running now. So I just seen it as bringing it full circle. So what, so it was like to, <laughs> what it was like to participate in that program it, for me, I just think of how hard I was working all the years before that and all the obstacles and barriers that I had to overcome. So when it came time for me to raise the money to get into the program, I knew I could do it because I was like, I've, I've done all the other hard things. Me raising the, the fee to be a part of the program, that was... Um, that was challenging, but like it was such a necessary journey and to to be where I am now. And then also with YC, when I decided to apply to the, the summer batch program, I didn't think that I would be accepted. I've never seen anyone with like a full social mission kind of business. And then also for women specifically, yeah, yeah. there was only four of us. Yeah. Wow, well, uh, for Founders Institute, it was Fly Technista. Yeah, so I had, I, in order to be accepted into Founder Institute, it's always known that you have to have three businesses. So okay. I, at the time, I was, uh, I had an actual creative consultancy slash like design business that I was providing like services for startups and, um, uh, right. and for startups. So Which that was, was, that one. was TD Creative. No, that was Unique Verse. It was a digital oh, okay. agency that was out of, uh, out of, uh, I was accepted into WeWorks Labs, so we was at yeah. a part of WeWorks Labs at the time, and then I created a hair app, <laughs> so <laughs> called Here It Is, and that was um, my second business, and Fly Technista was my third business, or my idea at the time, and um, basically my business advisor slash mentor of the program, he said to me, like, can you see yourself doing those other two businesses that I was doing at the time. He was like, can you see yourself doing this in the next five years? And I was like, no. Mm -hmm. He was like, when you talk about this thing, how you want to empower women and women in tech and your journey, your face lights up. You're like, I feel your energy. Like I, I see that you really deeply care about this. And he was like, you know, if you don't, if it's not going to make you want to still be here in five years, I don't think you should pursue these other two ideas as your business. And I mean, you know, at the time I didn't know this man, like, as you know, to trust him, like into like, you know, but something, what he said sat with me so deeply when I went home, I was just like, I have to do this. Like, you know, previously it was just, a newsletter <laughs> and yeah. then the newsletter became a blog and then yeah. the blog became a product and the product became my business like yeah. i'm still doing this four and, and four years and nine or so months later amazing this is really an extraordinary story i'm so <laughs> deeply touched and moved by all you've done and um Gosh, I, I just come back to that uh, address uh, and that full circle concept. It's really poignant. Um, 
So was it Fly Technista that you went into Y Combinator as well or a different? Yes. Okay. So we did, we did YC. Yeah. Right, right, Starbucks. right. And um, you spent some time at PwC, uh, yeah. which looked like more of an extended role. Was that post yeah. Y Combinator? Uh, an extended role of? Well, you, you, you were there for over a year or close to two years, which is unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know as an entrepreneur, like I, I told myself I would never go back into corporate America. And, you know, I actually didn't have to, but what happened was um, I was in, I was in several, 2017 was so interesting for me because I was in a part of several amazing um, accelerator programs and then, you know, initiatives. I became a fellow at Windsor Castle. Like I did all of these, like, and then I was in the eBay startup cup tech, co startup of the year like 2017 was incredible and I was drained I was drained so I just I didn't under I knew what business burnout and work burnout and career burnout looked like but I had no idea what founder burnout looked like and you know <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't I really didn't I just you know we know that when we're tired or stressed out from school or work work, but we don't know when we're running our businesses. And I just was like, oh my God, I'm crazy right now. I'm really insane. Like, I'm gonna break if I don't do something. And um, I came off of a severe high to a really severe loss and a very severe low. And I just, I knew that like, again, homelessness prepares you for so many other things mentally and emotionally. Yeah, like the resilience so that I have and the things that you build in you is just like, wow, I can, nobody's no i don't care if i don't get the money like nobody's yeah, yeah. nobody's no can just stop me and it's just really interesting with that but what it also did was um i had to learn my breaking points and like you know so i was doing all the things externally it looked like wow i was killing it but in reality it was just killing me like all yeah. of these just different things that i was doing like whether it be press competitions building several new products before competitors like it was all of these just different things so i realized that i had to one take a break to reinvest in my wellness and my well-being so oh. i didn't really fully know how to do that as a founder so i decided to take a break a very honest break communicating with my advisors and in partners that i was going to be taking a one-year hiatus to reevaluate not just the product but like you know to reinvest in myself as a person that's and, so great um, that you did that to have yeah I, to I, that. Just, I, but the the beauty of that situation and experience was that when i resumed in 2019 i did not lose any partners no, wow. Well. Not one, not one. So I say that with like joy and confidence and a lot of transparency because I was really worried about that. Like, what was that going to look like? But entering at PwC in 20, um, 2018, I just was like, okay, it's the right opportunity at the right time when I really need to figure better figure myself out more as a founder because i mean i've had companies before that's not what it was it was like this is a different type of business this is different type of visibility this is different type of expectations experiences needed all of these other things and i also really wanted to um, gather up my business acumen so i you know what what a better place to do that than at a big four working with multi-million and billion dollar businesses, right? This is true. <laughs> so I go into this, you know, this, this, this firm and I'm just in six months, like my career, just like my business acumen just raised, like I just learned so many incredible things. And I mean, we were remote at the time. And so I also learned how to manage remote teams and deal with all of these just different things virtually. So that also prepared me for everything that I still actively and we all are doing right now. Um, and being there for nearly two years, that wasn't a plan at all. I just told mm -hmm. myself, I'm going to be here for one year until I figure <laughs> out my startup and then figure out everything else that I'm going to do. It was not a plan at all. Right, and then right. I kept receiving like promotions and opportunities and I was really growing in a way exponentially and rapidly. I had no idea that it was going to be the path that it was. And I, I mean, I wouldn't have learned blockchain if it had not been there. So mm. I literally um, 
there was a first digital accelerator program that the firm had put together. They only selected about, I think it was 25, no, it wasn't 25,000. Maybe it was 5,000 people out of like the entire like US consultancy, like that we were able to do it. But this digital accelerator, uh, we had to learn eight emerging technology skills and, um, and, and use them to solve business problems. So for me, I went through the, everything from AI to automations to uh, virtual reality to um, blockchain, of course, to cloud computing. To So there were just so many different things that we, Bluetooth technologies, all of these just different things and how they can solve real world and business problems. And I just was like, wow, I can do so much with this and for me i became passionate about blockchain because it was explained to me in a way that i couldn't understand so i only learned how to build on it because i wanted to better understand its capabilities and what it does so people only explained it as crypto or money or for these things and i once i became a blockchain developer i realized wow this allows us to safeguard our privacy and yes, trans yeah. and the, the transparency of that's transactions great. like for well, me that's what it became <laughs> the distributed ledger concept gets buried somewhere as people are talking about bitcoin and ethereum right. and smart contracts right. it's like hang on let's go right. back to the essence of why this is clever um you know i think what an amazing theme about your life is this kind of um lack of intimidation in that most people, when they face a concept they can't grasp or something new, they, they get intimidated and then they try and move away from it. But for you, that's an invitation. It is, I dive right in. I'm like, I'm so confused <laughs> by this, I need to know more. That's <laughs> so great, uh, it's so fantastic. This lack of intimidation, lack of fear also um, came up in sort of your resilience and your personal experience because you know, once you go through a situation like that, you you feel like you know there's nothing that um, would stop you. All, right. The fear is gone, and so right. it uh, it's it's so empowering. Um, it really to, is to to go through the trough. Right. Um, and I often cite that, like you know, I'm a I'm a huge like Marvel comic and and comic fan and superhero fan, and I always say to people is like. You ever notice people, they only get their superpowers after they lost the stuff. Like, <laughs> whenever they went through the awful, horrible thing, lost yeah. both parents on a bridge in the rain, whatever, they can see now into the future. And I, like, I attribute a lot of, like, how my fearlessness comes from loss. It comes from loss. It comes from experiencing, you know, disappointments or setbacks or failures. It doesn't come from me winning and conquering and slaying and, and killing it. Like it comes from losing it. It comes from feeling broken. It comes from a place of like, I have to figure this out. Not that someone is giving me the answer. So, I mean, there is a different type of crazy that comes with that, <laughs> like in a good way, like an empowering crazy. It's like, it's I'm a fearless, but I'm also afraid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's the healthy kind of fear, but there's a fearlessness right. of uh, facing any obstacle or, right. you know, what adversity can take me down now. I've been through right. it already, so bring it on. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's that kind of mentality which I think is is really exquisite. It's it's wonderful and it's so true what you say. In so many of these conversations, um, oftentimes it comes up where the seemingly worst thing that ever happened to somebody ends up being the best thing that could have happened to right. them. Right, and that's also how I look at what's happening now. Like you know, this wasn't a part of my plan like at all. Like you know, a pandemic and rolling out a product and starting another business and none of these things were part of it. But like I've learned to just really embrace the dips of life and just let let it be, let it yeah. unfold, and not to go with it, but also knowing when not to fight it, just allow. Like yeah. so, yeah, yeah. that's no, been really liberating for me. I do want to talk about your app, but I want to highlight a few other um, accolades or um, recognition that you received. And, um, you know, I just noticed, you know, the, the, the next step advisor role at, For at Forbes, being a part of Goldman Sachs's 10,000 Women Initiative, 
um, involvement with the uh, National Venture Capital Association and VU, yeah. VC University. And now you're a VC yourself, uh, Femex Ventures. Right. So angel, not VC. <laughs> don't have enough <laughs> to become a, a VC yet. Yes. It's a matter um, of time. Yeah, definitely a matter of time. But um, yeah, it's been an interesting transition to, you know, be from one side of the table to the other and know what it's like to, you know, see myself and so many of the founders that I meet, that I'm able to meet with or connect with. Like, it's not just my, not just myself as far as this, but the hunger of their idea, the hope of their idea, the hope of, so that's what I mean, like seeing myself is like, because oftentimes, like, you know, especially when on the investor side if you have not have lived experience of that that grit as a founder like you don't understand their crazy idea and why they really believe that it's going to work so 100%, i think 100%. that's an important thing to like that i that i definitely look for and look to no that's yeah i couldn't agree with you more congratulations on on femex ventures i think it's fantastic thank you it's very um, difficult <laughs> it's very difficult i would say like you know people think it's difficult as a woman of color we know what those statistics are to raise the money but it's even difficult as a as a funder like i literally had to start at where where i was able to start at financially to to provide aid relief and support to the women who i really believed in in my own network so that was you know my determining for force for wanting to switch opposite sides of of the table for a bit because i i just realized there was so much stuff that i needed at the infancy of my startup that nobody could understand or yeah care to give money to that i really seen tremendous value and growth by just providing those things to other women no 100 percent. well let's chat about um this app that uh you've launched yay <laughs> awesome <laughs> so yeah flight technista is a mobile app and we provide um curated access to education employment and entrepreneurship resources and opportunities and technology um, and like literally when I started doing this in 2013 ish, I was kind of doing it just as a newsletter, like 2014 for me is when I decided when I left uh, corporate America, basically the companies that I previously had worked at, they would reach out to me and say, Hey, Talisa, we have a three month contract or we have a six month contract. Would you be interested? And instead of me saying no, and just letting that opportunity just fall to whoever or wherever i would ask them if i can introduce them to another incredible engineer or creative or whoever in my network and then as a result of doing that a lot of like hiring partners old colleagues that i worked with they started reaching out to me like seriously with so many jobs that i had put a newsletter together and then and they was also trusting me because the people that i was referring to them was doing so well so I didn't take any money for this. I didn't think it was a business. It was just something I really enjoyed doing. I, I love connecting people. I'm like, oh, you need to know this person or they're really awesome. Like, I just realized like, I'm like, I'm the hype woman, hype woman. So um, <laughs> it became a, I didn't think it, I still didn't think of it as a business or a service. I just was thinking like, like, hey, they need this and I know them. Like, that's what I was thinking of it as. And then, um it became too much to manage on a newsletter to be honest and then i just was like okay i have to make something so it then became a blog and then i was just like wow like people are feeling overwhelmed with all the the, the information and stuff maybe i should like make it a little bit more curated and then so i i created an actual ai based um web app for that and then when i you know i've always been intrigued by like always emerging technology how can i improve this like it's not going to be this forever and people who always want to do web things is like this is cool but then there's this other population who doesn't have access to laptops and computers so what about them and then so i started thinking about mobile and the three point something billion people that was going to be coming via mobile in 2020 back in 2016. so i'm thinking of a mobile thing back in 2016 but also knew that the adoption might not been the best at the time so i stayed with them with the web so here we are 2020 
all these people using mobile and um you know this this wrote this mobile app was supposed to roll out last year but there were other things that i needed to handle with it so i'm really excited for it it's like long overdue um and i've all we've already had um four beta cities using it so now it's just going to be open to the public that's really phenomenal congratulations on its launch and uh, uh i mean it, you did all the right things if delaying it was the right thing to do then um you know by all means nobody knows that better than the, the founder right. um Talisa, this has really been an amazing conversation. I really do appreciate it. Um, it's so incredibly insightful. Um, I, I love the rigor with which you've just pursued your passion without any hindrances or listening to outside voices or detractors just sort of marching forward. Um, and I'm particularly impressed with um, your sensing that you needed a break uh, and, and looking out for your mental wellness. Um, it's rare to see that uh, in, in someone so driven and so um, caught up in, 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 in the fervor of, of being a founder. It's, it's usually they're diametrically opposed. But it, it also doesn't surprise me because um, it's also uh, uh, unique to have someone so creative and also technical. And so you, you seem to straddle the extremes exceptionally well. So... You know, <laughs> one of the biggest reasons why I decided to take a mental wellness and well-being break is because, you know, after speaking with an advisor, they was like, basically like, you know, you can't do anything if you're not alive to do it. And <laughs> like, it was just a simple thing as that, but it really sat with me because it was just like, wow, I'm doing so much. And she, she basically has said to me, like, you know, you're, you're trying to raise these funds investors want to know if you get hit by a bus tomorrow who's going to be able to take over this business if you die who's going to do the thing and i was like right i need to live i need to live so that was actually a deciding um moment and force for me to want to you know really take my wellness and well-being into my my own hands and you know my body was screaming at me like it really was like like there are so many emotional, physical, and, and and mental triggers that we get as a result of burnout that like, if you're in tune with yourself, you know, but people who are not in tune with themselves, they don't know when their breaking point is until they've already broken. So for me, having experienced uh, mild burnout in, in my previous careers or some high stress in college, I knew that there were certain things that I needed to implement and do, but like the bigger thing was for me was I ended up in the ER three times in one month in October, 2017. Oh, wow. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is not like my, my arms, basically I was coding so much. I developed like this weird kind of carpal tunnel as you can imagine. And, sure. and it was like, um, to a point that I thought I was having a stroke, like, I didn't know what was happening. Like, I was just like, I had tingly pains in my arm. My chest was tight. And it turned out to be, it was anxiety. It was um, stress. And it was like um, a mild carpal tunnel that was also kind of forming. So for me, just those three different experiences and things, I knew that I needed to have some like health wellness regimen something in place to do that so like when that happened in october i decided to take the rest of the year of 2017 off and that's i was not looking for a job at all and then you know pwc had happened um so but when i took those two months off to really um regroup and, and another reason why i chose to work at that employer was they had a really um they had a really like carefully thought wellness and well-being uh, practice in place for their employees. And that's what literally yeah. drew me, that's yeah. what drew me to the company oh, because otherwise I was just like, why would I do this? Like, yeah, this is a yeah. consultancy, a firm, high stress, red flags, no thanks. But it was just the fact that they took so much care and effort into their wellness and well-being, it made... I am who I am now because of a result of the practices that I had developed internally being there. So, you know, reminding myself to take stretches, uh, wellness and well-being, mental check-ins, physical, all of these just different layers of that. So I, I believe like as a founder, 
there are so many things that we don't have the luxury of having when you're versus when you're an employee somewhere, right? You know, when you're an employee somewhere, there's like, wow, we're gonna do these uh, yoga lunches or <laughs> well-being check-ins, or you get six free wellness calls with the therapist on us. Whatever it is, it's like those different things that employers put in place, those do strengthen like us when we're internally. But like I started thinking of like as a founder, as a result of my own burnout, I started putting together um, wellness check-ins for other um, leaders and women in my network who were going through the same thing. And it was just like, mm -hmm. I had to be really transparent about what I was going through. And as a result of that, I partnered with a lot of amazing wellness companies because they're like, wow, we didn't even think of servicing entrepreneurs or founders or any of these things or the fact that you all could be going through burnout or emotional turmoil or whatever it might be. So, you know, these became things that I carried with me when I exited corporate America again um, to ensure that I'm here for myself, you know? So like I, I, anyone who knows me, like I don't, I have one slogan only and that's on my website, but oftentimes people will always say these other two things. Talisa is always working and Talisa don't play with her piece. And it's just like, how did that become my slogan? I didn't know that those were, these are slogans that people often say like, she's always working or she doesn't play with her piece. Like I really don't because I need to be present in my business and I can't show up in my business with my partners, with my mentees and my own personal life, I can't do that if I'm not, if I'm not <laughs> mentally and emotionally able to do that and physically strengthen and fortified to do that. So like, I take my wellness and well-being pra practices seriously and I always encourage other founders to do the same because like we can't run our businesses if we're, we're not here. Like that, that yeah. same advice sticks with me. So yeah, that's absolutely. Well, um, share with the audience, what is the motto on your website? So I don't wear glass slippers. I roundhouse kick glass ceilings. I love that. It's also on your LinkedIn profile. So I'm so glad you, uh, mentioned that. It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, it is so fascinating how, um, stress and duress, presents itself physically. Um, we've had some guests on the show who um, had, have developed cancer because they right. were running so hard. Um, and, and that was the big signal to, to take a break. Um, right. So yeah, uh, the body has a way of telling us if we don't listen to the precursor signals. And so- And it's um, always our teacher until we <laughs> learn, <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, it's so great that um, you are now so attuned to it and are managing it very, very thoughtfully. Um, I think that's extraordinary. And uh, as mentioned, I mean, I'm rolling out, I'm rolling out a product right now and I launched another business in a pandemic. And I am just like, look at how calm I am. Like, it's just like, I have so much to do, but I'm also, this is the calmest I've ever been with a product rollout or, or release. Like, I feel great. And That's it's really because great. of my wellness practices. So yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> so empowering. And so, what have you adopted as your wellness practice? You mentioned yoga earlier. Your yoga practitioner. Well, no, I do karate. So I've I've been uh, I've been doing karate since. I'm trying to think of how long now because I should have like, but again, with time and not training as rigidly, you don't get all your belts that you're supposed to get. So, but continuously since 2013, but previously before that, since I was a, a youth, so I would nice. say around like 12, yeah. but um, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, and MMA, and it's been difficult to train and do all of these things, you know, during pandemic and social distancing and things like that, but being able to, of course, when you do karate, you, you have there's a lot of mental oh, and yeah. the mind-body connecting oh, yeah, and then absolutely. like you know of course there is still very much yoga practices within martial arts as well so sure. um those are those are things and you know i i do a lot of um like extreme ninja stuff <laughs> so. right well i mean roundhouse kicking uh glass <laughs> that's, that's, yeah it comes right so, no, no wonder that as far as other wellness practices that are not physical, like um, I journal a lot. I've been journaling for since 16 years old. And as a result of consistently doing it over the last 13 years, I've been able to write my five, five books because of journaling. So, Amazing. 
it's really um, like it's therapeutic when you yeah. don't have someone to physically talk to or there are things that you might uh, want to share. I often tell people, you don't need to have like a, a book. Maybe you set a dummy email account that you just write to and send it to yourself so you can <laughs> right. see thoughts. Seriously, so you can see thoughts or things or how you were feeling. And I, I just think it's so important to have like, I don't, I don't mean journaling as far as, oh, this is my day. I spoke to you. I mean like, right there are certain things that we, that trigger us. Like if True. we know what, if we keep a journal, a stress journal, you can know when you're about to hit that traumatic or that breaking point for yourself. So you can go back and then look and say, I felt angry this day or this happened and this is what triggered me. And then you can just better get a, a hold of those things. And then the you're more likely able to break those patterns. So for me, like those, that's the other wellness I do. I meditate anytime I can. I just go to my head space because I need to clear my head. Like, nice. so yeah, between those three things, that's what keeps me. And I play, I make time to play. <laughs> I know people don't say this. I mean, I, I'm yeah. a grown, fully, fully grown woman. I play, I really do. I, like I make sure that I, I, in my schedule, I put in time to procrastinate and play. Like I nice. play so hard. Nice. Like. <laughs> And I have no children. So like, <laughs> I make sure that like, you know, I ha only I only have um niece and nephew, but like, I don't need them to play. I will play with myself yeah. because yeah. play is important. Like whether that's play as in you're making like mini figures or art or whatever it is, I make sure that I make time to do those things. Like you need it's that. so important. Yeah, absolutely. The, the mind really needs to be nurtured in that way. And, and naps, uh, that's my other secret, naps. Yeah, well, smart. Twenty I mean, minute power naps—they're the yeah. best. So <laughs> sleep is sleep is like the like uh, one of the easiest mindfulness wellness techniques we can deploy. Right. And right. Um, you know, the, your martial art experiences um, that makes a lot of sense given your proclivity for dance growing up uh, right. to have something very active and, and body based that makes a great right. Sense. Yeah, active and body. <laughs> so everything else would make me lose my mind. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a fitness camp kind of person, but right. like something that I felt that was more meaningful to my mind and my body. And that is also useful. I just found it to be really liberating and therapeutic. That's great. No, fantastic. Wow. Well, um, again, absolutely extraordinary conversation. Um, I wish you all the success imaginable um, with the app, with Fly Technista, with Femex Ventures, and everything and anything else you're going to do, because I know there will be others. <laughs> yeah, I launched one in this pandemic, so yeah. I'll be sharing that soon. <laughs> yeah, well, fantastic. Well, Talisa, thank you so much again. Thank you so much, Asim. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.